Amen. Welcome to Sunday School. It's another great day to learn as we assemble together around God's Word. We'll be in Micah chapter 2. Last week we considered verses 4 and 5 and the beginning of verse 6. Remember in verse 3, God devised an evil against their evil. And that's what we see playing out in verses 4 and 5. They were guilty of taking houses and, and fields from their brethren. And now God is going to send an enemy in there to do just that to them. The house of Israel's portion would be removed from them and given to the Assyrians. And the enemy would then be the ones dividing the land and not God's people. And they would come in and they would take the fields and they would take the houses and Israel would have none to cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. And we talked about how seriously every generation needs to take their time upon this earth. Amen. Because our actions in our generation right now are going to have a ripple effect to not just the next generation, but most likely to the third and fourth generation. And we have to take seriously what we do as God's people in every generation. And this generation, we ought to be laboring so that our children can see that there is a God in heaven. And they should want to be in the land of the congregation of the Lord. And so we have to take that serious. As we begin today, let's read verses 6 through 11. Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. Oh, that thou art named the house of Jacob. Is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the Spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of his people. So I soapboxed my way into verse 6 last week. And we're going to pick back up where we left off with that opening phrase. Prophesy ye not, say them that prophesy. Now I won't repeat what all I said last week there, except to say, many people don't like hearing the truth of God's Word. When it begins to impact their personal life and their personal views. You see, what I'm learning now that I'm a pastor is people, they love having a preacher. But they start having issues when their preacher tries to be their pastor. And people in our stripe, we love preaching. We get excited when the preaching's hot. And in Korea, every time our preacher gets up, Preach it, preacher! And we love preaching. People love their pastor when there's a death in the family. Some tragic event that there needs to be comfort. Some kind of encouragement, some prayer. But just as soon as a nerve is touched... There's issues. And now there's a desire not to listen to their pastor. People are okay to have a preacher to come and hear week after week. But don't start pointing out what you think is wrong. 
emphasizing you. Who do you think you are? People say, I didn't come here to have a pastor. I came here to have a preacher. Do you see the difference of what I'm trying to say? Here's, here's God sending His messengers to Israel. And they're saying, don't tell me what to do. That's cute. You got a little sermon every week. But don't tell me what to do. And I hope you can see the difference here. Don't you tell me what you think is wrong. But can I remind you that even David needed Nathan the prophet to come and say, Thou art the man. Even David needed that. And you know what? David didn't say, Well, that's just your opinion, Nathan. David didn't just salute smartly to his face and say, yeah, I hear you, but uh, I'll try to work on that. David didn't pull his family aside and say, listen, now we love our prophet, but he's wrong on this one. Just let it go. No, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. A pastor once came in here and I went up to him to make some small talk, some chit-chat. And... I asked him how things were going, and out of nowhere, he just said this. I wish I could get some people that were trainable. And I thought, well, it's good to see you too. I'm doing fine, thanks. But you know what? I, I, know, what he, I know what he meant. And you do too. People tend to listen to what they agree with. Not what they don't want to hear about their own personal walk with God. And how God wants a certain area of their life. And for those of you in the ministry, if you've ever served, you know this to be true. It sure can get discouraging at times. Because we invest. And we invest. And we invest some more into people's lives just to see them reject God's message. Trying to help people along. Taking valuable personal time away from family and in trying to help people in their walk with God, but they refuse to listen to sound biblical counseling. It's like they listen when they're in agreement, but then they completely tune you out when they don't agree. It can even be an issue that is clearly laid out in Scripture, and yet it's resisted. Because it doesn't hit the heart. And see, that's, that's the thing that we as human instruments of God, we can't reach the heart. The Holy Spirit has to be the one to do that. He brings about the change. He does the working inside. We just bring the message. And so in that respect, maybe I shouldn't get so discouraged because we're supposed to be dead to ourselves. So life goes on without any real self-examination without any real taking heed, without any crying out to God and saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Why would I ask God that? I haven't done anything wrong. And pride must be the most difficult sin to see in our own lives because we see ourselves as doing just fine. When we commit some outward sin, we can readily admit that it's sinful. It's not hard to go down to the saloon and convince people that they're living in sin. They typically go, yep. But to go into a church and convince church people of their sin is very difficult. 
We see ourselves as doing good. It's a, it's a stenchful pride in the nostrils of God and others. In fact, it's an abomination to God. He hates it. And it's interesting how we recognize that certain churches are being ridiculous when they decide to sever their association with us over something that in our minds is not worth dividing over. And they don't see all the areas we agree, which is probably over 95% of the areas that we actually agree on. I'm talking independent Baptist churches. And they choose to break fellowship with another like-minded church over some, some little disagreement. But, you know, sometimes we do the same thing to each other. And we refuse to see all the ways in which we agree, and instead we focus on where we don't agree. And that becomes our reason to sever relationships. And you've got to be careful about the pride issue. Don't ever think that you're so much better than everybody else. Amen. Because we're all sinners. We all have issues. God's still working on me. I don't know about you. And so I just want to welcome people in, but that's another thing. God needs to take things away from us. I want, I want to remind you that God doesn't paint murals. He chisels. He doesn't want to paint upon us the image of Christ. He wants to conform us into the image of His dear Son. And we've got to let God take away an area that maybe we as church folks, we've just kind of painted over. And it looks good when we come in here. And we look like good godly people. But there's something in there that needs to be chiseled out. And so when God uses a pastor, a preacher, a teacher in your life to help you along, you must be willing to receive the message. Don't tune the message out so quickly, but ask yourself, is there any merit to what is being said to me? There may be and there may not be, right? Um, sometimes people get it wrong. And so I've said this, we find the house of Israel here. They've tuned out the message from God, the true prophets of God. They had some prophets that would tell them whatever they wanted to hear. And you pay me enough money, I might be tempted to do the same thing. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm in a mood today. I better get back in the spirit. Here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word for prophesy here, it's only used in 14 verse, verses. And in every usage outside of Micah, it is translated as drop or dropped. Typically, we find the Hebrew word for prophesy, prophecy, pro, prophesy. I, look, I looked up a pronunciation and I can't get it straight in my head. Is it prophesy? Typically, the Hebrew word for prophesy is to speak by inspiration, to speak audibly. And we see that most often with this word. But this word, it describes the needfulness of God's word dropping upon them. And it has an allusion to the sweetness of God's word raining down upon them. A, a gentle rain. Talk to the ranchers here, they'll tell you the downpours are not nearly as good as the slow, steady rain that lasts for three days. And that's what this is kind of picturing. 
this word. It's to, to fall down upon people gradually. In fact, Strong's defines it as distilling gradually. It still means to speak by inspiration, but it's, it, it's this, this kindness, this sweetness of, of God sending His word to us. In Deuteronomy 32, verses 2 and 3, it says, My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord ascribe ye greatness unto our God. His doctrine will descend. It's the song that we sing, there shall be showers of blessing. Now the whole song is great and speaks about it. But there's one verse in particular which always comes to my mind on this particular subject. And it says, There shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing. Come and now honor Thy Word. It's the blessedness. It's the sweetness of God's Word falling upon us. Listen now. No matter the message. No matter the message. But the house of Israel... They no longer wanted what God was trying to say to them. They no longer wanted the blessings of God's Word raining upon them in a a blessed way. Amos 7.16 says, Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Which is why when you read in Amos, the famous passage that many of you are aware of, in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. God said, I'm going to call a drought upon you. And the the word of the Lord will no longer descend upon you as as a needed rain upon the land. They requested that. They requested not to have the word of God. Prophesy ye not, say them that prophesy. Don't let the word of God fall upon us any longer. Now understand, God was being very gracious to them in sending them prophets, in sending them the message of God's Word. When God sends somebody to proclaim God's message, it's a blessing. God allows them, because what God is doing when He does that, is He's allowing them space to self-correct and to get their hearts right and repent and get things good with God again. He's giving them space for that. He's allowing them time to Hear the message and then ask for forgiveness. Don't view the message of God as a bad thing. Don't look at it and go, man, I don't like hearing. It It doesn't matter the message. If it comes from God's Word, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. God wants us to get our hearts right with Him. Though Jeremiah was preaching to the house of Judah... By that time, the house of Israel had already gone into captivity. Listen to these passages from Jeremiah that certainly apply to what was happening in the house of Israel. 
Jeremiah 7, 25 and 26 says, Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Jeremiah 25, verses 4 and 7. And the Lord has sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to hear. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Jeremiah 26, 5. To hearken to the words of my servant, the prophet. I'm, I'm shortening these. That's why it kind of jumps in there choppy. To hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened. Jeremiah 33, 15. I have sent also unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them saying, Return ye now, every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. And ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers. But ye have not inclined your ear, nor hearkened unto me. Jeremiah 44, verses 4 and 5. Howbeit I send unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, O oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate, but they hearken not, nor incline their ear to turn from their wickedness. Five times in the book of Jeremiah, God reminds them that he sent unto them all my servants, the prophets. He says, rising early and sending them. But they refused to hearken to God's message. Time and time again, he sent his prophets. And, and you need to get that God was speaking to them through the prophets. And God still speaks to us today through his servants. That's how the lost world's going to hear about God. Isn't that right? It's through you and I being faithful to give the word of God, to speak for God. That's what a prophet did. They spoke on God's behalf. And as we get filled with the word of God, we're to proclaim that out. That's how they're going to hear the message of God. And God still speaks through us. Let me ask you, how well do you receive God's message? How well do you receive God's message from God's messenger? Proverbs 1, 23-25 says, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will, make my I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. It wasn't God who was speaking directly to them with an audible voice from heaven when that was penned. It was God speaking through His servants. It was God speaking through prophets through preachers. He wanted them to hear the counsel. He stretched out his hand. He wanted them to turn at his reproof, but they wouldn't regard God's message. Prophesy ye not, save them to them that prophesy. Isaiah 30, 9 and 10 says that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Jeremiah 26, 8 and 9 says, Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people. And, and this passage just really grips me. But it was the, the priest and the prophets and all the people took him. The priest and the prophets were in on this took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered uh, against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. 
They were in the place where they should have been receiving the message. You see, you can come into a building all you want, but unless your heart's ready to receive the Word of God, it doesn't do you any good. Amen. I hope the house of the Lord here doesn't turn. Amen. I kind of like being here. Jeremiah 26, 20 and 21 says, And there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went into Egypt. In Amos chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, And I raised up of your sons... And I raised up of your sons for prophets, and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Amos chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel. For it's the king's chaplain, it's the king's court. Remember, Amos was a prophet to the house of Israel, and they had set up the golden calf in Dan and Bethel. And, and, the, and they're saying, don't prophesy anymore at Bethel. Don't tell us what we're doing is wrong. Don't try to meddle in my life. Amen. Well, maybe you've got to be a preacher to really catch that, but how sad when we stiffen our necks against the message from God. Would you agree that our, our character is tested when we are confronted with an issue in our life? Yeah, I, I think so. I can tell you when I was a young airman, <laughs> and, and actually I could, probably, I could probably say this, if you've ever supervised people, especially some of you military guys, and you sit down across from them and you want to give them some feedback, you can tell almost immediately whether or not what you're saying is going to be taken seriously or if they're mad about it. Body language, you know, the way they sit. But you can tell. And when I was a young airman, I remember I was pulled aside by my, I don't know if it was just the shift lead or my actual supervisor, I can't remember. But he said, we got a problem. Now, I never got paperwork. i got to tell that for the military guys. I never officially got paperwork. But he was trying to correct some things that he saw in me. And I remember kind of thinking in my heart. It wasn't hitting my heart at all, and I was just thinking, whatever. Well, as you start to have other bosses in your life and you PCS to other locations, and the same thing keeps coming up, <laughs> and they keep identifying the same thing that was never in a paper trail, at some point, you've got to look at yourself and say, maybe I have a problem. Amen. Maybe there's something with me here. And that's hard to do. It's a test of our character when a message we don't want to hear is put before us. And we have to decide, is there something to this? Or is everybody else crazy? Right? Right? But it was something that was identified time and time again. And we have to come face to face with that. And we have to say, well, is there a problem in my life? 
Is there merit to this? And, and not all of these were godly people. If somebody keeps pinpointing the same behavior in your life. For me, it started with my parents. They know you best when you're young. And my dad certainly had a way. And he would pinpoint some things in my life that needed to be changed. And I can't wait to get out of this house. I did. And then the Air Force pinpointed the same things. It started to hit me. I've got a problem. God now has come to them many times through several generations to try to get them to turn back to Him. But they don't see the problem. And they just keep openly rebelling against God and His message. They even went so far as to kill the prophets sometimes. We don't want to hear that message. And so they kill them. I hope it doesn't come to that here. I'd rather enjoy living. But I'm real nice. I I get accused from other pastors of being way too nice. Uh, That's true. I'm not making that up. I'm harboring rebels. And man, you let people serve that shouldn't serve. And... Uh, you're just terrible, and I, yeah. Boy, I'm glad Jesus ate with sinners. Anyway, I don't want to get on that soapbox, Lander. Uh, he offered to bring me an Irish soap soapbox. And I thought, that's good. That's man soap. I've seen the commercials. They don't advertise that for women. That's man soap. Talk like an Irishman. Smell like an Irishman. Thanks, Lander. That one's your fault, brother. The next phrase here says, they shall not prophesy to them. They shall not take shame. Now, there are varying opinions on the exact meaning of this phrase, but it seems to me to have the sense that God is responding to their desire to not have prophets come and speak to them the Word of God. In other words, don't prophesy to me. And God says, okay, They shall not prophesy to you then, and your shame will not depart from you as a result. Because they would not take shame. God is going to shame them. He was going to disgrace them away captive. Now, we better be careful when we say we no longer want to hear the message of God's Word. Because God may just say, okay. And how many do we know today that are no longer in the house of God because they didn't want to hear the message and now they've been taken captive by the world. God turns them over to their own ways. The prophets were sent to save them from their shame. But now their message would cease from even being among them because they refused to fear God's judgments. They refuse to repent to prevent their shameful captivity. I like what Matthew Henry wrote here. He wrote this. Those that hate to be reformed hate to be reproved and do all they can to silence faithful ministers. It is not strange if people that are vicious and debauched covet 
to have ministers that are altogether such as themselves. Boy, that's true, isn't it? We we see this throughout different churches. And we gravitate towards certain kinds of people. And oftentimes, churches are looking for somebody who's just like them. And instead of hearing the message of God's Word, I want to hear what I want to hear. And we gravitate towards that kind of messenger. I don't know where God draws the line, but if people refuse to repent, there will come a point where He will give them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, I don't know when that is. But there is a point. Romans 1 makes that absolutely clear. I think there's still hope personally. I know others preach differently. But when you look at the list of sins of a reprobate mind, you know what one of them is? Disobedient to parents. And I think all of us were reprobate at one time. Anyway. Look at verse 7. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these His doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? The message is to the house of Israel, but... Why here are they referred to as the house of Jacob? These kind of things interest me, and there may be nothing to it whatsoever. I don't yet have a completely satisfactory answer to my own question, but I think it can be applied in several different ways. Let me just give you some thoughts here. Calling them the house of Jacob could be as simple as to remind them of who they descended from. When Jacob went down into Egypt, there were 70 souls. And when they came out of Egypt... They were still called the house of Jacob in Exodus. And so it could just be to remind them of who they descended from. And and it could be as a reminder of who they once were. This was the people who God gave the Word of God to. When He came down upon Mount Sinai and gave the law, He was giving it to the house of Jacob. They were blessed to have been the people that God chose to give His law to. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3, 1 and 2, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The Word of God. Even though they were immensely blessed to have received the Word of God, now as Jacob's descendants within the house of Israel are those who have cast off that very same Word even though it was once kind of received. I mean, they had issues the whole time, just like we all do, but they had some big issues, (laughs) amen. Um, I mean, while he's getting the Word of God, they're down there making a golden calf and doing some ungodly stuff. But now these very same descendants who have cast off that same Word are the ones who are persecuting and killing the messengers of God. And guess who were the most violent persecutors of the first preachers of the gospel? It was the descendants of Jacob. John the Baptist rebuked them by saying, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. Don't think your descent does anything for you. Sometimes I wonder if this isn't a play on words to suggest that they are acting like Jacob's old nature. House of Jacob. Before Jacob got his heart right with God, he was a supplanter and a deceiver. 
Those who were called the house of Israel are now being referred to as the house of Jacob by God. And it could be to remind them that you're acting like Jacob acted. Most seem to agree. I'm very intrigued by what I just said, and I once was doing a study on when Jacob is used versus Israel. And there is some interesting parallels to when God is issuing some sort of rebuke. But most seem to agree, for what it's worth, that this phrase, the house of Jacob, is to remind them of their heritage in Jacob. It was Jacob whose name was changed to Israel, right? And this is the house of Israel. He's calling them the house of Jacob. And Jacob received the message of God after wrestling with the Lord. And now these who are his offspring are rejecting the word of the Lord. They may have the name Jacob, but they don't have Jacob's new heart. How many attach to themselves the name of Christian, but don't have a new heart? They are degenerate. They prided themselves in their name, just as we see in the New Testament and I just alluded to earlier. And perhaps this is to be a reminder to them of the blessings they could be enjoying because of the covenant that God had made with Jacob. Whichever is the case, it is most certainly addressed to them. And the question is then asked, is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these His doings? To be straightened means to be shortened. And the question means, have I been any less long-suffering to you? Isaiah 50 and verse 2 says, Is my hand shortened at all? Same Hebrew word. Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. And the question that is, are these, are these his doings, means... Is it, is it God's fault that this is about to come upon you? Is, is it God's fault? And the thought is, don't think that God somehow enjoys what is about to befall them. He's long-suffering, amen? Thank God He's compassionate. He's merciful. He is slow to anger. But we reap what we sow. And that's what's happening. It's likely a way of God saying, I haven't changed, but you have. Is my spirit shortened? Is it straightened? Are these my doings? No, no, no. It's not me that's changed, house of Israel. It's you. You've changed. 1 Kings 18, 17 and 18 says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but thou. My father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Trying to blame the prophet for the trouble when really it was the people. Verse 7 ends with, Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly. Do you know who doesn't get mad at the preaching of God's word? Those who walk uprightly. Amen. Those who walk uprightly can come up to the preacher and say, Boy, that hurt, but thank you. Do you know who doesn't get mad at God's true messengers? Those who walk uprightly. 
Listen now, I want you to get this. Those who love God will love His book. They will even love His messengers. We cannot say we have a right relationship with God when we forsake the Bible. It's God's Word to us. Well, I don't really like that portion. Those who walk uprightly love the Word of God. And they love to hear it preached no matter the message. No matter if it is sweet to the soul or if it stings the soul. We're to love God's Word. Just read Psalm 119 and then ask yourself, how well do I love the Word of God? Do you love God's Word today? Do you love the preaching of God's Word? Do you love the messenger of God's Word? If you're walking uprightly, you do. But if you're not faithfully gleaning from God's Word, you need to do a gut check today. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. You see, it got into the psalmist's heart. He meditated on it. And we could read a lot of verses like that. Is that you today? Do you love the law of the Lord? Is it your meditation all the day? If you're walking uprightly, you do. Let's pray.